Hi everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Maker Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we're going to be talking about the case of Robert and Michael Bever, who are also referred to as the Bever Brothers. So today's case, it is not a very nice one, as always. I mean, when do we ever cover really nice happy stories on this podcast? But this case in particular is really hard to listen to. So Robert and Michael, they were brothers and they lived as part of a very large family, but they also lived a very sheltered and reclusive life. And over time, they just started to go down a very, very dark path. They became interested in some pretty disturbing things and together they started to formulate some awful plans and it all just ended in tragedy. And this case received a lot of attention because of just how horrific the crimes were, how brutal and cold these murders were that they carried out. It really is such a tragic story. And I do need to give a warning for this one because we are going to be talking about the murder of children. So please be aware of that. So with all of that being said, let's just jump in. So Robert Bever was born on the 17th of September, 1996, which means he was a Virgo. And his brother, Michael, was two years younger than him. And he was born on the 4th of November, 1998, making him a Scorpio. Now, Robert and Michael were the two eldest sons of David and April Bever. And David and April met when they were really young. April was only 15 when they got married in Texas. And they went on to have seven children together. And Robert and Michael, other two eldest. Seven children. That, that's a huge family. So I'm going to give you the ages of the children at the time of this case takes place. So the other five siblings were Crystal, who was aged 13, Daniel, who was aged 12, Christopher, who was aged seven, Victoria, who was aged five, and then two-year-old Autumn. And the whole family lived in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And David, the dad, his job was in IT and his job did support the whole family. And his co-workers just describe him as quite a quiet man, nice man, but he was very quiet. He was quite reserved, kind of kept to himself. He didn't really get involved with his co-workers. He didn't socialize. And I couldn't actually find out if April, the mom, had a job, but she had seven kids. She had seven kids, okay? But April was described as kind of like a mother hen kind of character. She was very watchful, very protective over her family. So David was quite reclusive at work, but it's also been described that the family as a whole were also incredibly reclusive. The whole family would actively avoid neighbors. They wouldn't interact with anyone. They would keep to themselves. So it wasn't just David at work. The whole family just kind of like kept to themselves. And to be honest, I've been a bit guilty of this before. I've kind of like avoided neighbors at times. You know, when you just can't be bothered to deal with people, like I will like avoid people. I think that's very normal that the Bever family kind of took it to the next level. All seven children were homeschooled. And I assume that this is what April did because I couldn't find out her job, obviously. I assume that she just looked after the family and she also homeschooled the seven children. But the children weren't allowed to interact with other children outside of their household. They weren't allowed to join into any clubs, any activities or anything like that. They weren't allowed to do anything. The children literally only had each other. They didn't have any other friends outside of their siblings. And this wasn't the children's choice. The parents, David and April, actively kept their children away from other children. And the children would just play in the backyard with each other. And neighbors have said that they would rarely 
ever see the children. They didn't even know what the children's names were. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't even know that there were seven children. Like, I read that it could sometimes go months without anyone leaving the house. Obviously, David left for work, and I also read that David and April would sometimes go food shopping, but other than that, they would not leave the house. The family were also estranged from the wider family as well, and the children would rarely see their grandparents or any of their aunts and uncles. Now there are rumors that Robert was molested at preschool. He is the only one to have ever attended any kind of school. And it's because of this incident that David and April pulled him out of preschool, which I can understand. I mean, I can understand that. But it was because of this incident that they decided that all of their future children would not go to school and every single one of them would be homeschooled because of this situation. But this was only rumors. I couldn't find out if this actually did happen to Robert, but it kind of does make sense, doesn't it? If this did happen to Robert, it would make sense why they decided to homeschool the rest of the children, but I don't know. But David was extremely paranoid past the point of normal. He even had security cameras installed into every single room in his house and he could monitor everything that was going on from his phone. I assume this was because he went to work and he kind of wanted to see what was going on but this is a little bit extreme. This is a this is a bit weird. So despite the family cutting themselves off from society, from pretty much everything, they still had full access to the internet, which I've got to say, I did find a little bit weird because David and April seem to be very paranoid. They seem to want to protect their children from everything. And it just makes sense to me if you think that way, you would also want to protect your children from the internet because the things that you can find on the internet are way more dangerous than some of the things out there in the real world, okay? Uh, but no, they had full access to the internet. They were allowed to do pretty much whatever they wanted. And what I found really weird when I was researching this case is April, the mom, used to post quite regularly on Reddit and you can still read her posts now. And it was just weird reading her actual words. From these posts, she kind of paints like this picture of like a normal family living a normal happy life. And I'm not saying that they weren't happy, but they definitely didn't live normal. I hate the word normal because it's like, what is normal? She would talk about how she would cook with her children, how she would even watch The Walking Dead with her sons and just little things as well. Like she would organize her nail polish collection. And there was posts about her getting excited about Christmas and spending it with her family. But yeah, from her posts, everything seemed like normal and happy. It didn't really seem like they were this paranoid, reclusive kind of family. And I don't really know what to expect from like a paranoid, reclusive family, but it wasn't what I read. But uh, yeah, April even shared some more personal things on Reddit, talking about how she got married at 15 and how that worked out great for her, but that wouldn't be the life that she would want for her daughter. She also spoke about the decision to have seven children and she never regretted that decision once. And she loved every single one of her children. They were all great people and the world was lucky to have them. And Robert and Michael, the two eldest boys, used the internet a lot. And I can understand why. I mean, people use the internet a lot anyway, but when you have like pretty much nothing else to do, I can understand why they use the internet so much. And even though they didn't socialize with anybody else their own age, they still developed the same interests as other 
young children of their age. They liked Star Wars, Linkin Park, sports cars. Robert, the eldest, also had, he didn't really have a YouTube channel. I wouldn't call him a YouTuber, but he did upload some videos onto YouTube expressing his interest in Minecraft. He even had a video where he showed off like his new haircut. And he also made some videos about all of the skits that he wanted to do on YouTube. So I think he kind of did want to become a YouTuber, but with the videos that he had uploaded, I wouldn't call him a YouTuber, but yeah. Salute. Hey everyone, it's me Colt Empire. In case you didn't know, you found me by accident, or you're expecting someone else. Yeah, why would you do that? Anyway, this is the second first ever update, which I think is a major improvement. I tried a news report theme last time, that's not very vloggy, is it? So I'm being a little more chillinated, writing stuff, scripting. I'm going to make my first skit soon. Can't show you a sneak preview or it would ruin it. It'll be like a minute long. It's, it's, it's going to be some good stuff. I think it's going to be hilarious. Alright, the new vlog. I got my video uploading for my first Happy Wheels playthrough. Second of all, new hairstyle, check it. It's called a Fauxhawk. And in these videos, he just seems like, like a normal, kind of a little bit awkward, but like a normal teenager. Nothing to suggest anything sinister was going on in that head of his. However, at some point, I don't quite know when, but Robert's interests started to get a little bit darker than just Star Wars and Minecraft. He started to become fascinated with serial killers and mass shooters. He started to fantasize about them. And he was particularly interested in the really famous cases. So the Columbine shooting, also the Aurora Theater shooting. Like he liked the really famous ones. And this whole thing where he's obsessed with the famous cases definitely comes back up later on. So he was particularly obsessed with the Columbine and the Aurora Theater shootings and he aspired to carry out a similar kind of attack. And I truly feel like I'm having deja vu right now because this just sounds like Trey Sesler. So Robert and Michael were very close. They shared a bedroom and because there was only two years difference in their age, they really bonded. Now it was originally Robert that became interested in serial killers and mass shootings. However, Robert's interests always seem to rub off on Michael. So now we have Michael that is also becoming fascinated with serial killers and mass shootings. And Robert and Michael started to have all of these long, deep discussions about all of their favorite serial killers and mass shootings. And they would stay up late into the night sharing all of their dark, twisted fantasies. And it was at some point that Robert and Michael watched the film Rampage. And this film was particularly influential to the two of them. And the events that happened in that film were a huge inspiration for how they came up with the plan that they did in today's case. So the film, if you haven't seen it, cause you probably haven't, I haven't, but the film is basically a man who wants to go around killing people because he believes that there's too many people on the planet and he wants to kill people to reduce the population. So basically like Thanos. But the man in the film builds his own body armor and he gets loads of weapons and he just goes on a murdering spree, killing around 100 people. So this film, along with the mass shooters that they absolutely loved, they believed that they could also do a mass shooting, but not just that, they felt like they could do it better, i.e. better to them is killing more people. They wanted to kill at least 50 people. But their biggest goal for Robert and Michael was to become famous. They wanted to be ranked with the most infamous 
serial killers, mass shooters. They wanted a Wikipedia page about themselves. Like that was their goal. They wanted a Wikipedia page. And this is when they started to formulate their plans. They wanted to go on a mass killing spree across the whole country, finally making their way to Washington state. I don't really know why they wanted to go to Washington state, but they basically wanted to make their way from Oklahoma to Washington and just stop randomly. And each time they stopped, they wanted to kill five people. And because they were so inspired by that film, they wanted to build their own body armor. And they also wanted all of these different weapons to carry out their killing spree. But to do this, they needed money. And Robert, recently got a job in a Christian call center. He said he wasn't religious himself, but at this call center, people would phone in and he would pray with them on the phone. And this is how he started to raise money to buy the body armor and to buy all of the weapons. So Robert was saving money bit by bit and eventually him and Michael started to order all of the different parts to create their body armor. And they ordered SWAT masks, bulletproof vests and helmets. And it has been reported that they bought a lot of this armor on eBay, which I don't know, but I feel like there should be some regulations on certain things that you can buy. And I know you can be buying all of this stuff with completely innocent intentions, but it does seem to me that sometimes there are a few too many things that are easily available on the internet. They also started to build up their collection of knives because that's a normal thing to collect. And their sister Crystal actually found the collection of knives in their room and she became alarmed by this because who wouldn't become alarmed by their brothers collecting knives and she did go to her parents April and David and said to them like hello like sort your sons out they're collecting knives this is weird I mean she didn't say that I mean I don't know maybe she did but she basically raised the alarm with her parents about this and they just kind of were like boys will be boys. I cannot even tell you how much I hate that phrase. And I have heard that phrase so many times in my life. But yeah, they just kind of put it down to them being boys. And it was just kind of like a normal hobby. David and April were even aware of the body armor that they were collecting. I mean, maybe they could pass off the body armor as kind of being acceptable. But the knives... That's never acceptable. So the family were aware of the body armor and the knives, but they weren't aware that Robert and Michael were also planning to buy ammunition and guns. They weren't aware of that because I feel like if they were aware of that, maybe they would be a little bit more alarmed. And this was the next stage of Robert and Michael's plan. They had their body armor now, they had all of the knives that they wanted, and now they needed to actually buy the guns and the ammunition. And Robert was 18, so he was able to order all of this himself. So he ordered a shotgun, he also ordered two Glock pistols. However, there was a little bit of an issue with him ordering the guns because they weren't able to be delivered to his home. They were gonna be delivered to a local gun shop and you needed to be 21 to go pick up the guns, which obviously Robert was not 21. However, the ammunition, there was no issue in ordering that. That could be delivered straight to Robert's store. So this is what Robert did. He ordered the guns. They were going to the local gun shop. Don't really know how he was planning on picking them up, but whatever. And he also ordered a thousand rounds of ammunition to be delivered to his house. And they knew that they had all of this ammunition that was going to be delivered to the family home, but Robert didn't want his parents to know about the ammunition and to also like intercept the delivery. So they came up with the terrible plan that the only solution to this was to kill their entire family. Robert kept a notebook where he started to make specific notes of pretty much 
how he wanted to kill his family and how he was going to go about it. So the ammunition was set to arrive on the 23rd of July and Robert and Michael decided that they were going to kill their family on the 22nd of July. They planned to wait around until about midnight on the 22nd of July, wait till all of their family members were asleep, and they would go from room to room, killing each family member with the knives that they had started to collect. And what just makes this oh, just even more sick is that they decided that they were going to film what they were doing. They decided that they were going to film two different videos one that was going to be really graphic and actually show the murders and show the bodies. And this would be the video that would go to the police so the police could know exactly how everything went down and exactly how brutal Robert and Michael were. And then the other video would be G-rated. This is Robert and Michael's words. And this video would be for the public. I think they were planning to put it on YouTube and this would include no gore, no bodies or anything like that, but it would just kind of still be a video on the murders. And the plan behind filming these videos is because they wanted everyone to know their crimes. They wanted everyone to know how brutal and how cold they were because they wanted to be famous. And then after committing the murders, they were planning on going to Walmart and buying like big uh, plastic containers. They were planning on dismembering every single family member and then putting their body parts in these plastic containers. And then they would put these plastic boxes in the attic and then Robert would take the family car. They would take the ammunition, they would take their guns and they would go off on their killing spree. And I'll say this again, I don't exactly know how Robert was planning on getting the guns because he's not 21. So it is now the night of the 22nd of July, 2015, and Robert and Michael are just in their room together and they're basically preparing for what is about to come. So it is 11.30 p.m. April and Crystal are downstairs in the kitchen. They're kind of tidying away. I think everybody else is in bed. And April tells Crystal to go get her two older brothers so they could also help out tidying away. And this is what Crystal does. She makes her way to Michael and Robert's bedroom. And when Crystal enters the bedroom, she sees Robert and Michael dressed in their body armor and she sees all of their knives spread over their bed. And this actually wasn't a shock to Crystal because she had seen her brothers in this body armor many times. She knew about their knife collection. So this wasn't exactly alarming to Crystal. And this is when Michael turns to Robert and says, quote, shall we do it right now? End quote. To which Robert says, yes. Now I've got to warn you, this is where the story gets very horrific. It's not easy to hear this next part. So in the bedroom, Michael turns to Crystal and he tells her that he's got something to show her on his computer. So when she goes over to the computer to see whatever Michael is talking about, this is when Robert comes up behind Crystal and he slits her throat. Now the plan that Robert had was to kill each family member quietly. And he thought by slitting Crystal's throat, this would be killing her quietly, she would die instantly. However, this was not the case. Even though Crystal's throat had been slit, she still put up a fight and she was still able to scream. But both Robert and Michael started stabbing Crystal repeatedly, but she still had the strength to fight them off. And she actually managed to escape the bedroom. And I truly don't know how she did that. And she was screaming for her mom. She was screaming for help. She actually ran out of the front door 
to get more help. But at this point, she had suffered so much blood loss that she blacked out and collapsed on the front lawn. But back inside the house, April was alerted to something anyway, because she could hear Crystal screaming. And I think April must have looked out of the window. I don't know. I think she saw her daughter run out of the house. Now, April had seen her daughter covered in blood. And as soon as she saw this, she started screaming. Now, Robert, who was currently chasing Crystal, trying to clearly finish her off, realized that his mom was screaming and this is when he turned his attention onto his mom. And April fought aggressively against Robert, but she was eventually overcame by Robert. And in total, she was stabbed 48 times. Now, as Robert was attacking his mom, he also instructed Michael to go get Crystal, to bring her back into the house. Because Robert didn't want Crystal to stay outside because he didn't want any of the neighbors to see her and to get alerted and call 911. So Michael went outside and he dragged his sister Crystal back inside the house and he just left her in the entryway. And Robert and Michael both presumed that she was dead. So they didn't do anything to her. They just left her in the entryway. However, whilst she was being dragged back into the house, Crystal did regain consciousness. She decided that the best thing to do was play dead and just hope for the best. So after Robert had finished brutally attacking his mom and Michael had dragged Crystal back into the house, Robert turns to Michael and says, where is everybody else? To which Michael replies, they're all hiding. Because of everything that was going on, pretty much the whole house had been woken up. Two of the younger children, 10-year-old Christopher and five-year-old Victoria had heard all the screaming, they'd heard all the commotion, and they had ran to the bathroom and locked themselves in. And what Michael does next to lure his two younger siblings out of that bathroom is honestly sick. It just makes me sick to my stomach. And he completely abused their trust. So he went to the bathroom and he started to pretend to Christopher and Victoria that it was just Robert that was attacking the whole family and that Michael himself was scared for his own life. So he was pleading and begging for Christopher and Victoria to open up the bathroom door and to let him in. And his two younger siblings believed him. They trusted him. So what did they do? They opened the bathroom door to Michael. And after they opened the door, Michael started stabbing the both of them. And together they had been stabbed around 20 times. So whilst all of this is going on, Daniel, who is 12 years old, also hears everything that's going on. He hears the screaming, he hears the commotion, and he manages to get himself to his dad's office and lock the door. And when he's in the office, he does find a phone and he manages to dial 911. Broken air 911. Hello? Hi, where are you at? Seven Okay. Are you the only one there? No. My brother's attacking my family. Your dad is attacking your family? No, my brother. Okay. Who's attacking your family? What? Who's attacking your family? Yes. Who, who is it? Do they What's going on there? 
What's going on there? Hello? Now, whilst Daniel is on the phone to the 911 operator, Michael, who has just brutally killed Christopher and Victoria, does the exact same thing to Daniel. He goes to his dad's office and he pleads with Daniel to open the door because Robert is going to kill him. I swear, Michael is sick. And Daniel does open the door whilst he's still on the phone. And Michael and Robert both storm in. Michael takes the phone out of Daniel's hand and he smashes the phone. You can actually hear Michael, like he grabs the phone and you hear him say hello to the 911 operator and you can hear like, like a commotion. And it is Michael smashing the phone. And Daniel pleads with his brothers to not harm him. He he says, please don't harm me. I love you, which is truly just heartbreaking. And then Michael turns to Robert and just says, he's all yours. Even though most of the family had woken up during this attack, the father, David, had actually managed to stay asleep for most of it. However, he had finally woken up from the commotion. And when he came downstairs and saw basically a scene from a horror film, he charged at Robert. However, Robert was able to overpower his father and he stabbed him in the chest. And pretty much immediately after Robert had stabbed his father, there was a knock at the door. Now the two brothers didn't know who it could be. They didn't look outside, they didn't wanna risk anything. They didn't know if it was a neighbor, the police, they just didn't know. So they decided the best thing to do was actually escape. And they decided to run out the back door and behind their house is like woodland kind of area and they ran into the, the woodland area. So the knock on the door actually had come from the police. They had managed to trace the call that Daniel had made from his father's office. And because of what was said on the 911 call and because the call was cut off, they did decide to investigate and thank God they did. And when the police knocked on the door from inside the house, they could hear this faint voice calling out for help. So because they could hear that and no one was answering the door, they decided to knock the door down and inside they found Crystal, who was the faint voice that they could hear and she was covered in a pool of her own blood. They immediately took Crystal to the paramedics who managed to stabilize her and the paramedics truly could not believe how she was still alive. However, inside the house, the police found a horrific scene. There was blood everywhere, just all over the walls, on the floor. And slowly as they made their way through the house, they discovered each victim. So inside the house, they found the parents, David and April, as well as 12-year-old Daniel, seven-year-old Christopher and five-year-old Victoria. Tragically, all five were pronounced dead at the scene. Combined, they had been stabbed more than a hundred times by Robert and Michael. Cameras were also found at the scene, so it does seem like Robert and Michael did go ahead with their plan and film the murders. And it was also documented that in the evidence recovered from the house, they had recovered live footage. And I don't know what this live footage is. The police have neither confirmed nor denied whether these murders were filmed. And it honestly doesn't matter, does it? We know what they were planning to do there were cameras there, there was live footage recovered in the evidence. So it does seem like they recorded some, if not the whole murders. And yeah, that's just, there's no words. There literally is no words. That just takes it to a whole nother level of sick, disgusting people to not only murder their family, but to document it and to film it. And I don't know if any of you have managed to clock onto this as I've been telling this story, but there is still one family member that is unaccounted for, and that is two-year-old Autumn. And when the police searched through the house, 
They found Autumn still in their crib and she wasn't moving. And at first police feared the worst because so far, apart from Crystal, they had found every single family member dead. So when they approached the crib, thankfully Autumn was still alive. She was fast asleep, still in her crib. She had slept through the whole attack. And because of all the chaos and everything going on, Robert and Michael had actually forgotten about Autumn and thank God they did. Because remember Robert had a notebook and he was detailing everything that he wanted to do to each family member. Well in this notebook he had written down that he had planned to get an axe and cut off Autumn's head. So thank God these sick disgusting, I don't even want to say people, forgot about Autumn. So obviously the police are searching through the house. They're searching for Robert and Michael. I think they figured out that it is Robert and Michael that have done all of this. They see that the back door is open. And because Robert and Michael are not in the house, they believe that they have fled through the back door. The police did bring in the dog unit that picked up a scent that left the back door. And the police followed the dogs into the woodland area that was behind the Bever household. And this is where they found Robert and Michael both hiding. The police ordered both of them to come out with their hands up. Robert complied straight away. He wasn't phased by this. He came out like it was nothing. But Michael wasn't like his brother. He didn't come out. So the police set the dogs on Michael. I think good to be honest. And you can actually see in the photographs that Michael has a ripped shirt and he actually has some bite marks on his shoulders from the dogs. And you can see in the photos that Robert is still wearing his body armor. He has, oh my God, he's got a face I want to punch. He has got a smirk on his face. He looks so pleased with himself. And when Robert is arrested, he actually says, quote, it's been a pleasure. I'm proud of what I've done, end quote. And then the police take both Robert and Michael into custody. Over in the hospital, Crystal is having emergency surgery for all of her injuries. I mean, she has a slit throat. She has been stabbed multiple times. She has excessive blood loss. And some of her wounds were that bad that some of her internal organs were protruding. But the surgery went well. And after Crystal's condition started to improve and amazingly, she survived this attack. And she was able to tell the police exactly what happened. The police start the interrogation on both Robert and Michael. And they start with Robert first and he doesn't hold back. He is proud of what he has done and he admits straight away to all of the murders. And he goes into thorough detail of exactly what he did that night. And during his interview, it has been reported that he would sometimes just stop and start laughing. Ah, seriously, this, oh. Robert started to ramble on about his beliefs saying that there was too many people in the world, basically from that film, Rampage. He also said that killing people was not a bad thing to do. And if he killed enough people, eventually he would kill someone that deserved to be killed. He also said that killing multiple people would make him godlike. I don't think it did though, did it? I think we can definitely say that Robert has a god complex. Robert's interrogation wasn't made public. However, Michael's was, and there's actually footage of the interrogation on YouTube. Man, I'm, you know, I just kind of got thrown into this. So I was hoping maybe you could kind of just go back at the beginning when all this started and kind of tell me what happened because I need I need kind of the details so we know and understand what what you went through and stuff okay and now I started mm -hmm. okay and now it's like uh two months ago okay it's when we first uh, really started talking so when you say we who are you talking about me and my younger brother is also your brother yeah he was investigated and what's his name uh, Robert Robert 
And at first, Michael is trying to deny his involvement. He puts all of the blame on his brother Robert and says that he just stood by and watched. However, the police have already interrogated his brother Robert and they start to contradict Michael's story with what Robert has already told them. Because Robert has said that him and Michael both together committed all of the murders. So the police start to really wear down Michael and start to break down pretty much all of his lies. And Michael starts to change his story. And his new story is that he only participated in the murders because he was scared of Robert. And he thought that if he didn't participate in the murders, Robert would kill him as well. And then he also admits to stabbing Christopher once. That's it. He stabbed Christopher once and that is all he did. But the police aren't buying his lies. I mean, I feel like we can all safely say here that Robert is the one calling the shots, but Michael still participated. And both Michael and Robert were charged with five counts of first degree murder and also one account of assault and battery with a deadly weapon because of the attack on Crystal. And I've just got to say before we move on, I don't know how the officer kept calm interviewing Michael. And he slurred through a few seconds. Was you standing in my desk? Oh, I behind And so that was the other thing she fell down screaming me. And then he stabbed her some more? When he was stabbing her some more, was it, where was he stabbing her? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can't understand. Like, seriously? give him a raise. At first, both Michael and Robert pleaded not guilty to all charges, but because Robert was 18, he would be eligible for the death penalty. Michael was only 16, so he wouldn't be. And the prosecution managed to convince Robert to take a plea deal and plead guilty, so he would avoid the death penalty and he would also avoid going to trial. This would also mean that Crystal wouldn't have to go through the ordeal of a trial, and to be honest, that is the least her brothers owe her. So Robert took the deal and he pled guilty, but Michael wasn't having any of it. I don't know if it's because he wasn't eligible for the death penalty, so he didn't care about that, but he pled not guilty and his case did go to trial. Oh, and I forgot to say what Robert's sentence was. So because he took the deal and pled guilty, he was sentenced to five life sentences to be served consecutively. And also there was no possibility of parole. So in Michael's trial, he was sticking to the same story that he gave in the interview and that he didn't want to be involved in his brother's plans. He only played along with his brother because he was scared for his own life. He also did change his story slightly because in the police interview he did confess to stabbing Christopher once. Well now he's backtracking and he's saying that he didn't attack any family members. Robert actually took the stand in Michael's case. He was testifying in defense of his brother. It's just all so, just so weird. And he went along with Michael's story. He said that his brother had nothing to do with any of the murders. But in Robert's police interview, he said that Michael and himself both took part in the murders. But now he's backtracking and changing his story. Robert claimed that he only gave Michael credit for some of the murders because he didn't want Michael to feel left out. And on the stand, Robert actually said that everything that he said in his police interview should be taken as a lie. He said that on the night of the murders, he was actually in character. He was in this role of a cold-blooded killer and everything that he said on that night should just be taken as a lie. And he was playing this character because it helped him carry out these brutal murders. However, even though Robert is testifying that he did it all and Michael didn't do anything, 
actual physical evidence contradicted this. Also, when Robert was on the stand, he did say that physical abuse went on in the household. He talked about the fact that his parents would force him and his siblings to stay inside the house for months at a time, and that his parents were also physically rough with all of the children. And he would also fall onto Michael to kind of look after the kids and educate them. Now, this abuse hasn't been proven. However, there are reports that Crystal, when she did take the stand in the trial, she also corroborated this abuse. So I don't know though, I couldn't confirm if Crystal said that or not. So I don't wanna say that the abuse has been proven, but just keep in mind that there is a possibility that abuse also did happen in this household. So the jury went to deliberate and they didn't believe Michael. They didn't believe Robert. They believed that Michael was just involved as Robert was and the jury found Michael guilty of all counts and he was sentenced the same as his brother life in prison. When Robert was in prison, he did try to commit suicide. He tied a sheet around his neck and the other end to his bed and he tried to hang himself. And also Robert did try to attack two prison officers with a sharp weapon. Robert also has some tattoos on his knuckles, which say life on one hand. And then on the other hand, it says LWOP, life without parole and I think he's really proud of his sentence and what he's done which is why I think he attacked these prison officers as well because he kind of wants this reputation that he's this really ferocious person that shouldn't be messed with he's this cold-blooded killer and we don't really know much about Michael we just know that he is in a different prison to Robert because they're not allowed to be in the same prison at the same time. Now, following the murders of the Bever family, the home stayed up for sale for many years. No one wanted to buy the house knowing just the horrors that went on. The house had even started to attract tourists. It's like, I understand that people have an interest, but it's like, that just takes it too far. You know, this house hasn't been opened as a tourist attraction. And all of the neighbors were just getting sick and tired of all the attention. And the house was beginning to just look like an eyesore. So because of this, there was actually a fundraising campaign to raise enough funds for the neighborhood to buy the house collectively. And then all of a sudden, the house burnt down. Now the police suspected arson. I mean, it probably was, but they had no suspects. They didn't know who it was. But following the fire, the campaign still continued and the neighborhood decided to turn the lot into a memorial park. And that is exactly what happened. The land was turned into a small park and there was a gazebo that was constructed where the house once stood. And they named the park Reflection Park. And the city have said that they can never erase the tragedy that occurred, but they are making a statement with Reflection Park that they will not allow evil to define who they are. And I didn't really know where to fit this in in the story, but the Bever family did have a little dog. It was a little dash hound named Sally. And at first, First, it was thought that Sally had gone missing. She had ran out of the house when the attack was going on. However, she was found in the house and when she was found, she was terrified. She was shaking. And Sally has actually been rehomed to one of the neighbors, Julie, who is still looking after Sally. And she has said that she is looking after little Sally for maybe one day when Crystal wants her back. Julie has said that Sally took a very long time to recover from what had happened. And still to this day, when there are screams when they're shouting on the TV, Sally will shake because she is still so terrified. So following this case, both Crystal and Autumn have been given protected identities. And it's not really known if they are together because obviously they're living 
conditions and everything haven't been released for obvious reasons but I really do hope that they are together and I hope they're both doing okay and Crystal went through something so horrific I just hope she's okay I hope she's getting the help that she needs and Autumn even though she was asleep and she didn't experience it like Crystal she will experience growing up as an orphan she has lost her parents she has lost Except for Crystal, she has lost all of her siblings. She will never know them because she was two years old when this was happening. And I just hope they're together. I hope they're doing okay. And my heart really does go out to both of them. And that brings us to the end of the Bever Brothers episode. And that was not a nice one to listen to at all. But thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would mean a lot if you could leave a review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.